0: Babble Bullshit and Beyond is a new podcast hosted by me, Marco Kiris, conversing about my cage wage, whirlwind ways, and my perspective of the film biz during those days. A fun, fluff filled funk with guests relating to all things film biz. Today on the show, we have Lindsay Gibb, author of National Treasure Nicolas Cage, a book defending the artistry of Nicolas Cage's acting style and investigating his cult following. Lindsay came by my home to chat about her book and my time working for him as his stand-in for 10 years. So on today's show, we have author Lindsay Gibb. And uh, we're gonna talk to her about her book, which was released a couple of years ago, I believe. Is that right? Lindsay?
1: 2015, yeah.
0: So just just Not too that long time. ago, yeah. Yeah. And I read the book. And first of all, hello, and thank you for coming no over problem. to my house and, and doing this little podcast. And to your husband, Matt, for support. Yes. <laughs> which we both need. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I wanted to ask you, Lindsay, there's well, there's a million questions I wrote down and then I kind of stopped and then I kind of rewrote and then I made other notes. And I'm like, who is this young girl who's so what I thought was obsessed with Nicolas Cage? And you kind of are, but you kind of aren't. You're just kind of mm. stating the facts as you see them as maybe we don't see them and i worked for Nick cage as people know for you know 10 years 20 films as a stand in photo double and uh basically that's it you know kind of like figure out what's going on for safety on the on the set you decided after seeing a thing at, at TIFF was that in 2012 Yeah, so a retrospective the on Lightbox
1: um, did a retrospective on cage i think it was 2012 and um yeah, we'd, I mean, me and my husband had seen a number of his films before and people had just casually argued that he was a terrible actor and I would come to his defense, even though I wasn't like a huge fan or anything. Mm-hmm. I'd just seen enough of his films that I thought were good films and he was good in them to, you know, counter their arguments. Um, and then when that retrospective happened, we were just like, let's go see all of this because we haven't seen a lot of his movies and I've defended him in the past, so let's get some more fodder. Um, to defend him. And we just, yeah, I discovered Vampire's Kiss through that. And that's really my favorite film ever now. So um, that was really what kicked it off for wow. me. Wow.
0: Yeah. And you went on this like cage trilogy of watching film after film after film. And you decided at that point, I'm going to write about him and kind of set the story straight.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I guess, so if it was 2012, then, you know, the retrospective went for about three months, and then, uh, well, it was like every Saturday or something, they'd show one of his films. So, yeah, it was two or three months that it ran, and then uh, Matt and I enjoyed that so much that we were like, let's start a film club with our friends, because we lived in a condo that had a theater room, so why not? Um, So, yeah, we started a Nicolas Cage film club, and that ran for three years, and Three <laughs> so every years month of film club. we watched one of i mean he has over 70 films so yeah. there was never we didn't watch all of them together um yeah so we just i was getting together with the film club and then i found out that ecw press had this pop Classics series which was basically where people were defending things they loved in pop culture and i was like Nicolas Cage is perfect for this and I'm the perfect person to write about that (laughs) and you actually were the perfect
0: person to write about it because I read the book Mm -hmm. and I was mind blown I was just like what is it?" I thought it was gonna be just a little fluffy book with a couple of defenses and I like Nick in this and he was kind of cute in that and (laughs) and then I kept I'm thinking this is really interesting and you dove into this as if you were almost his alter ego hmm. I'm thinking how did she come up with this and she's right this makes sense because even things that I criticized uh, about him when I worked on all these films mm-hmm. I started to read you defending him on certain aspects mm-hmm. and I just I never even thought about it from that angle but you did and I think you've swayed a lot of people's uh opinions about Nick Cage including my own you know it's wow. I was kind of like here and there on different different aspects I'm like that's over the top and then i'm right. reading this and i'm thinking it's actually not over the top that does make sense that he would say this in this character under these conditions right and those points are not really thought of much how did you get to that point
1: i mean it was really a lot of research um i wasn't i did try to get in touch with him just briefly when uh joe was at tiff Uh, I went to TIFF and contacted all the press people and tried to get an interview. But I think a person who's writing a book is not as high priority as, like, a newspaper who's about to write something about Joe immediately. So Mm -hmm. um, I didn't get an interview with him. And then I just thought, you know what? I don't need his opinion so much as I need, like, critics and just to examine his work. So, yeah. And I mean, I got enough of his perspective through other interviews that already existed. Um, So, yes, I went to, again, Tiff has a film library. So I went to their film library and did a lot of research there. Some internet research. And, yeah, it was mostly just research and watching his
0: work. It was a lot of research. Yeah, it was a lot of research. Because it was very detailed. The book is like, I wrote all kinds of stuff. And I just, I was so dizzy about how in-depth you got into this man's character and into his Mm headspace that I never saw him that way. Maybe because I was so busy working that I didn't think much about it. But as I look back, I kind of agree with you that he is a genius. I mean, I always thought he was very crafty, very calculated, and very smart, and a great marketing man as well. Mm. But he's actually a genius. And you are right in the book, he does come well prepared. I mean, I had glimpsed a couple of his scripts, you know, just by mistake as he was on set. And the notes he had per page was ridiculous. And that's what I saw there. And and he, he had... A couple of different scripts. You know, there's a pre-script with certain notes and then another one and then one for the set. And he was always prepared. He never missed a beat. I have to tell you, in all, all sincerity, in the 20 films I worked, he never missed a line. He yeah. didn't miss a mark. He knew exactly what he was going to do. And he, even though you thought it was ad-libbing, which I thought it was, mm-hmm. he knew he was going to do it. Like yeah. in Face Off and went on about that stuff. I mean, he knew that that's what he was going to say, even though the director had no idea. Or they wanted one take of him saying... He knew why he wanted to say what you said.
1: Yeah, I mean, in my research on him, he was pretty adamant about that a lot of the times when he was being interviewed. Um, Mm -hmm. I know you didn't work on Peggy Sue Got Married, but um, at that time, he got a lot of criticism from the other cast Mm -hmm. that he was just taking it in a weird direction. But also Kathleen Turner said he wasn't prepared. And he was like, how does she know what I've done? I've totally everything I'm doing is for a reason. And so I tried to examine all his work through that kind of lens of all that hyper preparedness. So it's long? good to know that that's true. It is <laughs> that true. You it's, it's completely that as true. Well.
0: I mean, it, we saw it all the time. We would think that it's just kind of like, he's just doing this off the cuff," but then you look at the notes, you watch him move. It was done the exact same way in each take. It's mm-hmm. so like you can't do that off the cuff. When he did it, whether it was a wide shot, a medium shot, or a close-up, it was still the same. Yeah, and he knew how close the camera was on him to bring it back to a certain degree because the close-up would read it differently he was well aware of the lens he knew his he knew his angles and he worked the cameras to his advantage he knew what he was doing each yeah. and every time and i would watch him i mean we had our marks down and everything else but he knew that you know to bring it forth to be a little louder to be a little quieter knowing in his own mind where it would be edited
1: mm-hmm Um, I think Pay the Ghost filmed here while I was working on the on the book and a friend of mine's children were in that (laughs) and so she went on set to be with her children and watched him and she said that he would like do the line the same the same arm movement like down to every little movement it was all the same every take so I, I had a little insider information yeah, when I was writing. F- everything.
0: Yeah. Think about that in all those films. And on Air on Face Off, on National Treasure. The running, the jumping of this, that. He did it each time. He, he, he was his own script supervisor. Mm-hmm. He did it the way he knew that it would appear on camera uh, as a finished product. And uh, watching that, I just sounds I like this guy in that respect was amazing. And I yeah. thought, wow, he's, he's the real deal. And people saw that. And they understood that. And that's why he was hired all the time. And right. said, the guy delivers all the time. But there is that over the top, you know, why does he have a bad repu- You know, reputation as an actor and blah, blah, blah. And that goes on forever. Mm-hmm. And then you had this this vice interview where you said, I think it's because he's a character actor who happens to be really famous. Which is interesting. I never even thought about it that way. If someone else did it, they would be that guy in that film who you would keep seeing. And people might enjoy him more, but because he is a top build guy in movies, they expect a certain type of actor or someone who's cultivated a career. That is one thing. But because he does so many different things, it's hard to make sense of him. Mm -hmm. I thought that was interesting. I was like, that makes sense.
1: I mean, I think that's really why he's criticized is because nobody can put him in a Mm -hmm. box. Um, If he was just an action film actor maybe people could you know watch enough of his action films and be like yeah that's what that guy does and I like it or I don't whatever but um, because they get to know him as something you know he did three action movies and was suddenly like oh this is a new style of action hero and then he just changed and did something else I think people can't wrap their heads around that and Mm -hmm. then just say oh he'll do any movie which You know, maybe it's true now, like today he does do like five films a year and not all of them are the best. So I don't think he'll do anything, but I think he, you know, makes weird choices that people can't really understand. But um, I like to think that it's because he's, you know, trying to do new things and trying to, you know, keep learning as an actor.
0: I I agree with you. I mean, you say here um, that um, I think he looks at acting through lenses beyond just straight acting. He looks at them as art or he looks looks at it as a painter or a dancer would look at it. And he tries to put more of that into his work. Yeah. And that makes sense to me when I worked with him. And I didn't think about it that way until I read your answers to this interview with Ellen Weiss. I was just like, that makes sense. It's exactly why he was doing what he was doing.
1: I'm glad you had my words from that Vice interview because that was much closer to when I wrote the book. So I had a better oh, good, insight. Good. good. <laughs> now it's been far enough away from me doing all that research that I forget a little bit of it, but.
0: That's okay. I forget the films I guess, you know. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember I mean, the endings too much half longer the
1: time. Since you did the films. <laughs> but but yeah.
0: those are great answers. Mm. And uh, to come up with that answer means you're really into his style of of acting as a person. You've really dissected this guy. Mm-hmm. You've you've honed in on his style as a human being. And then you wake up and move with this person. Whereas I, I was just, you know, I worked with him all day, of course, 12, 15 hours a day, you know, three, four, five, six months exhausting. at a time. Exhausting. Yeah. But my my focus was on, let's just do this, right? Let's move on to the next shot. What is the next shot? Are we changing in the wardrobe? You know, are we on scene 47? Are we changing scene 75 due to the weather? versus, you know, focusing on his acting style so much, except when he was a little, a little out there. Right. And there were those times.
1: Yeah. Or
0: That's several times. <laughs> yeah. But I love that you say that and that uh, you quoted him, which I had never heard this before, but you quoted and put it in, um, in your chapter three, Cage Against the Machine. By the way, it's a great book. <laughs> and I love the headings of the uh, chapters. The quotes. Um, the quotes are great. So Nick Cade says, I can't get used up. It's not possible because I'm open to the world. Mm. It's like, that makes sense. And that's why he's so different. And he's a culturally diverse human being, which a lot of people don't know. He loves cultures. He loves languages, different people, different, uh, Um, uh, religions he's so open to everything and he sucks it up he takes everything and he tries to learn different words and i mean i used to watch he was just anything and everything it's like how does this guy do all this stuff but and he memorizes it all yeah he's a real smart man he's got a great vocabulary i like myself which is why i was a (laughs) stand-in and he was the actor but i love this and i love the cage against the machine i also like you know the man the myth the mem You know, as I'm writing my book, mine is the man, the myth, the malacca. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Because that's exactly what I was, you know, comparatively. I just thought it was funny that you put that in there as as a uh, chapter heading.
1: Well, meme, I mean, was a big thing uh, also leading up to this book. I really felt like the part of the reason I could sell this as a book was because so many people were making memes of Nicolas Cage on Mm -hmm. the internet. So, you know, I don't know if you were... As someone who was not necessarily following Nicolas Cage, but who just worked with him, um, I don't know if you noticed all the memes that have come up around Only him. Only through the kids, oh, through oh, right. Blake, through yeah, Kelly, exactly. through
0: Carson. I had no idea. I didn't even know what the word meant. That's why I didn't even pronounce it correctly. <laughs> I was fine. just like, what does that mean? What is that? And she's like, well, this is I was like. Really? I've never heard of it. And then he shows me all these things about yeah. Nicolas Why is it his Cage? face all
1: over everything. I
0: think it's almost sad, though. I think yeah. I think it's kind of mean.
1: Oh, sure. I do wonder how much he knows about it.
0: Oh, I, he knows about it. Yeah. How yes. Did
1: did you find when you worked with him that he was really aware of, like, critics and the public's perception of him?
0: I did, but it wasn't on this level of Sure, memes. yeah,
1: because the internet wasn't as Yeah, it was like the huge. New York
0: Times. It was, you know, CBS, uh, you know, one of those reporters. It was that. Yeah. And, I, and I used to, you know, I'd hear it, I'd see it. You know i'd read the script i was like wondering how are we going to do this next film is it going to work is it not are we going to get through it is he going to get criticized for it you know bouncing from these you know doing family man doing gone in 60 seconds it's yeah. like it was a little wacky this way and that way
1: was he getting labeled a lot then like of as a certain type of actor and then having trouble when he would try and transition into a different type of film
0: he didn't have the transition uh, problem. Um, the public had the transition right. problem. Yeah. And I think some studio executives had that problem, but he was okay with it. He wanted to actually, at some point, when we were on either The Rock or Face Off, one of the two, and we were filming downtown LA, I remember him having a conversation. We were all hanging out between shots, and there was like five, six of us just sitting down, having coffee and water. And he says he wanted he wanted to have two different names. There was a Nick Cage, the action star, and then Nick Cage, the artist-actor. Not in those exact words. Yeah. But he wanted to have two different identities because he wanted to please two different genres. And he wanted to go global with that because he wasn't as global at that time. And uh, we thought, oh, this is very interesting. And he was dead serious about it. So he, was, he wanted to have a different name. And I remember what the name was. But huh. there was going to be one that was Nick Cage, the superhero, and Nick Cage, the actor. So it's okay that he would make a half a million dollars on one film and then $15 million on the other as the superhero. Right. So he wanted to broaden his horizons. I mean, he felt like he was universal enough to appeal to every generation.
1: Well, I argue in the book that there's a duality to him. There's the whole chapter about the face-off mm-hmm. and the uh, adaptation, kind of him playing two parts and how... I think he he did say in an interview that there was like the popcorn side and the I can't remember artistic or like more thinky kind of side yeah. of him, which is kind of what you're saying that he said at some point. Yeah. yeah.
0: How you did all that research? I mean, it took you what months?
1: I had a full time job while I wrote this book too, so and a, a husband. and a house, yeah, the whole thing. Oh, I didn't have the house yet, but yeah, For the cost, condo, regardless <laughs> yeah, a dwelling. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Um, how it was just round the clock work. Um,
1: I mean, yeah, it was, I'd worked on, you know, I was a journalist before I wrote this and I worked on like two magazines at once. I was pretty used to just balancing my different um, projects at the same time. So, uh, when I was doing this, I just found the time, I guess, to do it weekends, evenings. And then I took a little bit of vacation time to work on it too.
0: Wow. Yeah, and it took what a few months, I guess.
1: Gosh, uh, because of the research, I think it took. Yeah, did it take like half a year to write it? I think that it was about that, like six months or something. Hmm.
0: Yeah, and the uh, National Post uh, called it uh, one of the best book, one of the best in the top ninety nine books of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, was that for Canada or was that for?
1: It was all books. Like, I mean, it was the National Post's picks, but they weren't Canadian books. They were just all the books that came out that year.
0: Yeah. How cool is that? It
1: was pretty cool. <laughs> it didn't get a lot of reviews, my book, but mm-hmm. it did get some accolades like that. And then it got an award from the uh, Independent Press Awards or Independent Publishing Awards. Yeah.
0: I think it's fantastic. And had you written a book prior to that?
1: No, this is my first book.
0: So, your first book, and it hit the top 99. National yeah. Post. Yeah, it's pretty good. I mean, it wasn't the <laughs> Toronto Sun. So, that's pretty good. I mean, I'm pretty impressed with that and I've read here so it's you were you were part of the uh Broken Pencil magazine. Yes. Um what is that and what was your role in that magazine?
1: Uh so that's a magazine that's been around since 1995. It's a national magazine about uh independent art and zines. And I got into it through, I guess I grew up making zines. If you're familiar with the zines, they're just like independently published magazines, like little small photocopied things. Um, Actually, they can really be in any form. So it's very hard to describe what a zine is, but it's basically just a self-published Thing. OK, um, so I made zines growing up and I used to go to the zine fair that Broken Pencil put on and then I became a journalist and uh, I started writing for Broken Pencil and then I became the editor in 2006. And I actually quit to write this book. <laughs> so I did that for eight years and then I got this book deal and realized I couldn't keep doing it <laughs> and write the book.
0: A librarian, so, from what yeah, I read, yeah. a journalist, an editor and an author. Mm-hmm. at such a young age
1: oh i'm 37 i'm not oh, that not. young really? i am oh my god you keep talking about me like i'm a kid well, because you look so
0: damn young i that's why i'm just like sh- no. i was telling the kids i was like oh sh- i guess she's like 30 31 32 no. you know no i'm 37 really <laughs> yeah wow still it's quite an accomplishment thank you but when i read that i was just like wow how did she do all this stuff but you did at such I a like young age
1: <laughs> I don't Yeah. Know. But- <laughs> Yeah.
0: But you're an inspiration, I think, to myself and I've I've read, Uh, so I wrote a little thing when I read the book, um, I'm going to try to read it out loud and see if I can see with my reading glasses this far. So after reading the book, I'm like, okay, after reading this pop classic cute book, I couldn't figure out where to start or stop with questions. Every page read like 10 pages. Once you dissected the information, especially to me who saw it from the inside, but realizes that I was also on the outside, but you were not Lindsay. A wonderful internal perspective of Cage and his method of acting madness is known to millions. I'm so happy he had this obsession with writing, but America's quirkiest leading male actor. uh, I have more respect for him now than I ever had before. But working with him, I missed a lot of what he was doing. Um, I came in on it mimicking his moves and just trying to get through the long days and months of each film. Cage is a well-crafted actor as you display in your book and I believe you made your point valid because you won me over too. He does such a variety of films like no other actor in Hollywood because he keeps discovering himself in different characters in different situations and he works within himself from an honest place and opens up from that point. Uh, He likes to broaden his appeal to all generations and he's a marketing man kind of like Madonna (laughs) I feel in that respect but you kind of grasped all that
1: i mean i don't know that i knew the marketing aspect of him Mm. um but yeah i mean i definitely saw that he was more more diverse than he was given credit for and i think the people who don't like him are kind of cynical about Mm -hmm. what actors should be um
0: i was kind of that guy i was a little cynical watching it working on the films and stuff i i didn't feel that while i was on leaving las vegas Mm. because that felt uh it was very deep it was uh was almost morbid every day was 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 draining just to work on that film but other films i thought were a little over the top yeah the top yeah that i'd worked with and i I love that you had said this he says you say he's played yuppies scumbags honorable rogues heroes villains a gangster a love horn punk whatever that is (laughs) uh, a pair of screenwriters a greasy weapons dealer at least a dozen comps and ex-cons, an angel, a mechanic, a pimp, a scientist, a scholar, a star-nosed mole, <laughs> a con man, a caveman, and a weatherman. Um, and this is the best line of that. And with each one, he put the same amount of dedication in it. That's the best line.
1: Yeah, that's what I mean about the people who are cynical. I think that they, you know, don't appreciate someone who's earnest. Yes. And is just trying his hardest at everything and doesn't just phone it in. I don't think he ever phones it in. I no. think he's always putting a lot of effort. Um, a Love Lauren Punk is uh, Valley Girl.
0: Oh. Yeah. Okay.
1: That's him in Valley Girl. Okay. I haven't seen that in like 30 <laughs> and years. And the star-nosed mole is, oh, what's that? G-Force. The cartoon. Oh. That he was in. <laughs> he okay. Was a, I didn't see He that. was a mole. <laughs> he was a mole? Yeah. He played a mole with a okay. really weird voice, which is amazing.
0: Wow. Okay. <laughs> I mean,
1: I don't think you can even tell it's him.
0: I didn't even Such know that he did voice. that.
1: Yeah. I felt like check I, out his movies. <laughs> I know, but now I You know, I, I've
0: seen a bunch, obviously, but yeah. I, I usually end up at the premiere, and then you then you start to have right. a life after all that sure. stuff. So it's
1: yeah, you have a different connection with the things. Yeah, versus, it was different being on the set. Especially the ones you were in. Yeah, I'm it was, sure.
0: It's kind of like that super heyday time, you know, for ten straight years. It was it was, you know, big Hollywood times mm-hmm. then versus now. Now he's Versus in a different. Now
1: he's, yeah, not quite. They're small. They're
0: independent big. films, from what I've you know heard yeah. and seen. The things that I've seen, you know, they're decent, but they're.
1: Have you watched Joe?
0: Uh, I didn't.
1: Oh, Joe is so good. I
0: know, I know. I heard that. I know. I I heard that. I, I mean, I am I'm, I'm surprised <laughs> it didn't do that well though.
1: Yeah, uh, I think it was too small for oh. it to be
0: really okay. well known. I heard I nothing know. bad about Maybe. that when I read the yeah, reviews. Yeah, no, it's
1: amazing. It's a great film.
0: Yeah, I didn't have time to see it, so I, I feel okay. bad about that. You and still have it, time. I know, there's like a lot of films and stuff to, to see. Yeah. Um, but I'm so glad that, you know, you wrote this. Um, has it, has this been distributed in the States? Yes. Okay. And... Uh, I mean, it's
1: on Amazon. People can get it really anywhere. Um, apparently, I got a notice in the mail today about how it did last year. So, And it sold in the States and, I don't know, overseas as well, so... Wow. It would be nice if more people knew about it. I yeah. think it's a little under the radar, but... Sure. I mean,
0: National Treasure. It's a great title.
1: Oh, thanks. I mean, it was kind of the obvious title. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, but it's cute. I wanted to ask you, why were there no photographs in here?
1: Oh, that's probably more of a publishing question. I think there's a lot of rights around getting images. And plus, okay. I've, it, also it's a series, and the series just doesn't have images in it. So okay, just, that was more the publisher's decision than mine. Okay.
0: Yeah. Have they advertised the book in the States or is it just one of their pop classic?
1: I mean, it's, it's just part of the series, but, um, I'm sure that they were trying to push it to different outlets when it came out, but you're kind of, you know, you can tell everybody about it, but if they decide to write about it, then they do. And if they don't, they don't. So, yeah. yeah. Um, but I mean, somebody from mm, Time Magazine, I think he, he didn't write something about it in Time, but he was doing a talk i think it was like a ted talk or a tedx talk about mm-hmm. nicholas cage and he used that as research and thanked me on twitter for it so that's how i know he it was on his radar so i get i get random people there's a group in like barcelona or something i'm gonna get where they are wrong but um they make a zine about nicholas cage and they interviewed me for it and yeah, there's just people all over the place that get in touch.
0: Is there a part two coming out on this that you're writing or not? No. Or are we kind of like done with the Nick Cage National Treasure I,
1: I mean, I considered because this is the 20th anniversary of the, you know, summer of Cage with the action yeah. film summer. And today is the 20th anniversary of Con Air. Con Air, like you yeah. told me, which yeah. I didn't
0: know. <laughs> June the 6th. Yeah. 1997. How funny is that?
1: So yes, leading up to 2017, I was like, oh, in the summer I'll write something about the summer of Cage. But I I tried approaching it a couple of different ways and then I thought, you know what, maybe I'm, I've am i done my writing about Cage. I definitely did write about the action films in there, so mm-hmm. I think it's overkill maybe to k- keep writing about him. So yeah, I'll talk yeah. about him. Anybody wants to talk about him, I'm happy yeah, but to. But you know but... so
0: much about him and, and the things you said about The Rock, uh, him, him being, you know, cause basically this little geeky character guy and, uh, not swearing and, you know, playing it kind of cool and not wanting to be an action hero in the film in a in character. Mm-hmm. And, uh, which is true. Cause I remember him playing this weird little good speed scientist and he refused to break out of that character. He wanted to play it kind of meek and geek all time i thought is this really gonna work opposite all these big macho guys and i'm you know i'm just on the sidelines yeah but i'm watching him work this whole thing is so it was so the opposite of what everybody else was doing and this character who got kind of stuck in this uh, serious situation that could mm-hmm. blow up san francisco
1: and he was way more interested in the science yeah of all those weapons
0: it was fascinating he yeah. was actually really good yeah, in it, I agree, and it broke him out into a big action star. I remember Michael Bay saying that and he's like Nick, you're going to be an action star after this, and Nick's like, "Yeah, right." And it's like, "No, you aren't." <laughs> and uh, when uh, they won more
1: impressions, please. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: well, he, they, he, what, did he win the what the Billboard Award? The movie, or and he won Best Action Star, I think, uh, at the Billboard Awards in 1997 and stuff. And Michael Bay was there and just like, I told you. And he was like, you owe me a Ferrari. Because uh, they bet like on a Ferrari, you know. It's, it's not going to be a big hit or blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to be a big bet on a
1: Ferrari. Star. See, that goes to show Hollywood. Yeah.
0: Well, Michael Bay has Ferraris in mind. And so right. did Nick Cage. Yeah. Yeah, so, for sure. and, and so did Jerry and It was, you know, that kind of a big macho boys club. Mm-hmm. So uh, it was funny to see that. But yeah. uh, and there he, there he was making it yep you know that he was in that southern drawl of con air right after that with yeah. that wig
1: that wig the wig it was yeah. a, it was a how killer. was the wig you had to wear the it wig too it was hot too. and sweaty yeah it was yeah. hot out there I'm sure yeah. <laughs> in the desert it was hotter <laughs> under my head oh boy
0: yeah it was and he wore the same thing but you this guy never complains I complain all day I'm mm-hmm. a diva <laughs> <laughs> this guy shows up. it's 120 degrees. He's got this stupid wig you know weaved into his hair oh, man. And, and you know it's and they to like take it off and put it on and fix it and re, you know spray it and do all these crazy things. For me, they just slapped it on me and that was the but right. it was funny to see he never complained about anything. Hot, cold, sweaty didn't matter. He just did his job. boom boom, boom, that's it next cut, close-up, move on. Nothing. Me, I complained all day long. Right. It's too hot. Where am I hot. sitting? Where I don't want to stand here. I don't want to run through the desert. Why don't you get the stunt guy to do that? It was just like they're like, "Shut up and stand under a light, buddy."
1: Yeah.
0: So it was. Uh, there is no light. It's too hot and sunny. We can't put lights. It's a wide shot. It's, it's the desert.
1: Yeah. But yeah, you have to tell us some Con Air stories since uh, it's the twentieth
0: anniversary. Twentieth anniversary day. of Con Air. Well, actually, that was the first time I stood in for two the two main lead actors uh, so I stood in for Cusack and Cage ah. when we were not in LA and we were in Utah and Nevada which is where we shot most of it other than the stage part of the interior of the plane which was in a Hollywood um, soundstage um, they didn't bring any other standards because it's Utah and it's Nevada and so there was only me and so I had the dark swarthy hair so Cage and Cusack were rarely in the same scenes so, mm-hmm. I would have to do double duty because I wasn't on my cage wage contract yet. It was the next movie. So, but they still had me out there, flew me out and put me out and stuff. But they said, you need to work on, on Cusack. So, I would flip from the tank top to the white shirt and, and, you know, play Cusack all day long. So, I got to know Cusack while mm-hmm. I was working with him. And then I'd flip and put on my little tank top and look like a little wife beater mm-hmm. and then do the whole cagey thing. So, uh, it was it was a lot of work. Yeah. A lot of hours, a lot of work. It was a tough movie to work on. It was a big macho movie. Everybody was, like, tough. And, you know, we stayed in in, uh, in Nevada. It was called Wendover. We used to call it Bendover. So it was a Wendover, Nevada, for obvious reasons. And uh, the joke on the... And, you know, they would put things on the crew list. Really nasty. And bad. You remember, it was not a PC world. And this is a very macho. You know, everybody's just like... Brr. And there were, like, strippers in the casinos and little... Chicky things, whatever they were, because we were in these like low-rise, cheesy casinos on the border of Nevada and Utah, where this this right. town was. And so they said, "What do you What do you get when you get half a dozen win, uh, women from Wendover together?" And it was like, I don't know what. Oh, full set of teeth. And it was. <laughs> I thought right. that was funny. So, and that was the truth.
1: Very small town. Very small town. Yeah. it
0: was like minuscule. So, but it was it was it was very tough to be there. I couldn't wait to get out.
1: Yeah and a lot of work
0: yeah a lot of work yeah there was nowhere to hide there were you know those dust mm. storms it was tough because yeah. base camp was so far away from the actual set I mean you needed to to take those vans it would take 15 to 20 minutes because they kept using all these these wide shots so you were far away to get to anything to go to the bathroom to have something to eat to get water I mean, other than cases of water it was not a fun shoot
1: from the inside could you see that summer of cage uh coming the action I mean you knew you were gonna be in these movies but
0: Yeah, I mean I, I didn't know when they were gonna be going released. To be, yeah. You you couldn't tell because the studios changed their minds and right. all kinds of factors hit. So you don't know when they're really gonna be released. I didn't know it was gonna be the summer of cage yeah. ever until it was the summer of cage. Right. So I knew that we were doing those action films and I was thinking, how am I gonna not break my back and do the rock and do con air and then do face off? And they were all rough films. And I thought, I'm not gonna get through this physically. Right. Because I'm not a physical guy. Nick is a physical guy. I had a trainer on set every day. We I mean, yeah. had a forty-foot trailer with a personal trainer. Yeah. So I had nothing. You know, I was in lifts because he's tall and he's muscular. So I had to wear like an inch and a quarter lifts just to reach up for those close-up shots. Right. So it was. Uh, I didn't know how I was going to do it, but it was. It was interesting all the way around. It was fascinating to watch them with all these other actors. But I didn't know it was going to be the Summer of Cage. But then we're like, whoa, we're in this blockbuster. Like, we're in this entourage of blockbusters. Dude, we got three <laughs> movies coming out on the same year. And we're like, yeah. boom, boom. I felt as invincible as he did. Oh. And I was just like the sidekick. Were you in know.
1: the midst of making other films by the time, like, it was the Summer of Cage?
0: Yeah. So 97. I'm trying to remember what we did in 97. Uh, I'd have to, like, look, look it up. Yeah. It was after. it IMDb. was. Well, Face Off yeah. ran for, like, six know. months um so after that do i dare say family man no it wasn't family man um that adaptation maybe bringing Up the dead i i can't even remember i'd have Somebody's to look up the through, internet um, here <laughs> the kids know yeah. better than i would i can't even remember uh what was happening that summer during that big we were so oblivious to it except for nick who did it interview after interview so he would fly back and forth from LA to New York and then to Europe and it was like you know they they do five six interviews a day Mm -hmm. they dress up in different wardrobes he'd have to answer the same questions over and over again you have to think of new new answers or new things that were going on the set um it was a lot of stuff for him we were just kind of like running around on set when he was off so the order was um leaving Las Vegas The Rock Con Air Face Off City of Angels. Oh, that's what Snake we did. Eyes. It was City of Angels. Mm-hmm. And that was filmed in LA and partially in San Francisco. With Meg Ryan. Yeah, with Meg Ryan. That was... Uh, that's right. City of Angels. So that was mm-hmm. a big, you know, completely different departure. film. Departure, yeah. Yes. Huge departure. Mm-hmm. And then Snake Eyes right after that. And again, we were falling back to back. We were like we they already started um snake guys before we got there just like face off we were not uh ready and you know nick's still in character for city of angels and you know hair and makeup wardrobe and then the next day we fly off it's like a friday by monday morning we're filming the next film and we're already yeah. 10 days behind and they've already shot those other scenes and now we're trying to catch them so now you have new hair makeup wardrobe people new looks new characters New new environment. We're going from LA to New York. And now we're, you know, out there in Atlantic City, trying to film that stuff. Once you finish that, then you fly off to Montreal to finish the movie. And mm-hmm. uh, it was, it just, you didn't have any time to rest. You had no time to feel the pain. If you had any pain, right. you just had to spend that Sunday sleeping as best as you can. Never mind laundry, and banking. back then, people did real banking. I still do. But, uh, <laughs> they uh No at me time back. for the banking. But it was it was all that stuff, and it just it, it kept going and going and going. So that summer of that he was in his glory, we were working and working and working. Yeah. Mind you, he was very generous and he was very happy about that time. That's when I got my Rolex watch Aww. gift, which was really sweet. So he was. Did he buy ex- it for you? He did. He Aww. bought it for the the entire entourage, and he and he had it engraved. For all of us, oh, personal yeah. engraving uh, on my Rolex, which is upstairs.
1: Oh, you will have to show that to me. I will. I forgot <laughs> about that. And,
0: so, and, and, and he bought, you know, it's like I said, Gucci suits and Dolce Gabbana suits and mm. all kinds of gifts and, um, you know, boxes of scotch and things. He was constantly buying gifts for your birthday and for wrap gifts. Not only to us, to the entire crew. Oh, that's
1: really nice. So
0: he really cared for everybody that was on the set he doesn't have that reputation and he never talks about it but every one of us got these ridiculous gifts like elaborate gifts like super expensive gifts i can't believe i still have them i have beautiful 400 leather bags to this day hmm. stunning ones from italy but he kept doing that because that's who the, he is it's just like oh maybe they need this let's buy him this let's buy him that so they kept thanking us for all our hard work but mm-hmm. we were just happy to have a job and a bottle of wine is fine but he kept giving and giving. Then he would take us out for dinner. Then he'd take us out for drinks. Then we'd go to a local club or a bar. He was always paying.
1: Yeah, the things so. you showed me that are in your basement where he signed things to you, those yeah. were, uh, It was. he had really nice things to say. He was yeah. very thankful. But he was That's sincerely
0: easy. appreciative of the work of whatever the position was, whether you were the standing, whether you were a stunt guy, whether you were the hair or makeup person. As long as you worked hard for him and you weren't... Um, You know, slacking off, Mm -hmm. and you actually did the best that you could. Mm -hmm. Uh, He He was very appreciative. Yeah, it was like that on Wind Talkers. Wind Talkers was a rough shoot. Yeah. Big, tough shoot. You know, between Hawaii and LA, working in both places, it was a lot of work.
1: So it's, but he appreciates all that.
0: Took care of everything. Whatever you needed, he made sure. You made sure that you had the right hotel room, made sure you had a car, made sure you were cared for in all those, you know, made sure you had your per diem, you had your contracts together. So if you bitched about it with production, his agent would come to bat for us. I mean, and he made sure of it. It's like you called him up and said, this is what I want for him. Mm-hmm. And especially for me, who was like, you know, the stand-in. So right. His they They couldn't man. look at that as just like, what? I'm not going to pay it," But they did. And it was his doing. So it was uh, pretty amazing for that. I was very impressed. But... Um,
1: I have questions for you. Oh, you do? Okay. I do. Actually, Ask one away. of them's from the book. Do you mind if I borrow Absolutely.
0: it? Absolutely no. I love the book.
1: Oh, good. I'm so happy I keep, read the book. Keep saying I'm, that. Um, okay. So, uh, so in my introduction, I talk about you know the references to Cage that exist, like the memes and such, but yes. also the the TV show Community did a whole episode about there being a class that's Nicolas Cage good or bad, and. Dan Harmon, who created Community at a convention, said, tried to explain why he picked Nicolas Cage, and he said, "Nicolas Cage is a metaphor for God, or for society, or for the self, or something. It's like, what is Nicolas Cage? What is he? Is he an idiot or a genius? Can you write him off, or is he inexplicably bound to your soul? So, what do you think? <laughs> Especially after reading this book, you might have yeah. a different opinion. Well, I have,
0: uh, <laughs> I have. I I'm now leaning more towards you because yeah. I had a little more of a cynical. Uh, opinion because as much as I was on the inside I really wasn't Um, I was on the surface and I feel like you were more on the inside you studied his films you studied Mm -hmm. his craft I just copied it so it was like a copy and paste moment for me and so I wasn't thinking much about that stuff but as I read this book I realized that this guy was a genius and I, I really now see that he worked really hard in in every film and developed every character with tremendous amount of research i remember him saying and and uh and the people around us that he was while he was working on for example kanye or he was studying the character for face-off for or, um you know for troy mm-hmm. at the time so he was doing two characters at once yet and then we we wow. ended up overlapping on both films actually right. filming on both films at the same time because oh, we had wow. reshoots after we went over then we went back and did reshoots. Right. we went back and forth and back and forth and his headspace he was dead on <laughs> and he didn't miss those beats and he didn't forget any lines and i'm so sure that this guy's gonna mess it up nothing just like <laughs> there. right there so yeah. i agree to this day because of this mm-hmm. i'm you made me look inside of myself to look into him and i do believe now that he's more of a genius Mm -hmm. than he is just some kind of oh you know slack or a hack right it's too there's too much going on in him to come up with those um with those characters and because he keeps doing it over and over again meaning the same that shot that he would have to do he does it over and over again whether it's a a a wide shot or a close-up it's not that he put his hand over here, and the next take it's over here. Mm-hmm. It's exactly here. So that is genius, because very few actors will even remember that they put their hand here. Yeah, and it's a close up. They're like, oh, okay, close up. Nick is like <sharp inhale> all aware of it. Hmm. So I now agree with you. Excellent. You know, well, I didn't want to agree the, with you, but I, I agree with you. the job of the
1: book is to make people agree with me that he's yeah. the best.
0: But that was the job that you. <laughs> worked to to figure out yourself to begin with Mm -hmm. once you figured it out you wanted to tell the world
1: yeah but i mean there was definitely a part of me that was like i i don't know if i'm right or if i'm just like wooed by him but i'm pretty sure that i'm right about this but of course i'm sure not everybody who read the book is like nicholas cage is the best actor i've definitely heard from people who think so
0: after reading it I would think that most people are swayed to that, uh, to that level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I hope so. Because it was smartly written, and it was well-researched. And if it wasn't, if it was somebody like me to say a few things, I'm the stand-in. I'm not digging deep into his character. Mm-hmm. I'm on set with him all day, but that's a, that's a different story. You dug deep into the person, his background, his acting ability, the films, the scripts, and then came with that, up with that conclusion. Like, mm-hmm. this guy is not a joke. This guy is not. This just didn't happen. This guy thought about this. This guy is is really quite a genius. Mm. And that's why I started thinking, she's right. Like, I didn't think about it that way. Why didn't I? I was there all day. Yeah. But you did. And so now I look back at those films and it's like, you're right. That's exactly what he was doing. And he did it over and over and over again. You can't forget those things.
1: So you talk about him being able to do face-off and, and like reshoots on Con Air at the same time and not like messing up the characters Adaptation, he was literally two characters at the same time. What was. was your kind of observations of I, that I couldn't, happening?
0: I was uh I was confused <laughs> yeah. that yeah. I was confused working, you know. I mean I, I had the fat suit, I'm not a fat suit, but I had a wraparound pillow, you know, you know did
1: he gain weight for it so he, he did didn't not. have to? He no, he actually
0: lost weight. He had a fat suit molded uh, onto his body. Wow. So it was a prosthetic. Oh, consumed. I think I read that when I was yeah. doing my research. So it was an actual fat suit and it was skid. It was like, you know, blower the whole yeah. Um, but he made sure that he had a separation between the two characters, like you had said. Mm-hmm. The one was, you know, Donald was not as, you know.
1: Right. The move down to the movement. Right. The, right yeah. down
0: to everything, right down to wearing the shoes in bed versus the barefoot one and so forth mm-hmm. it was and he was very animated. i would look at him it's just like oh he forgot his shoes it's like oh no that's the other character <laughs> right and i couldn't remember but he remembered yeah. he couldn't forget the man never missed a beat i was sure he'd fuck it all up <laughs> i couldn't keep up nobody could keep up except for the director and the two of them were in sync, were like this. Nick was dead on. The amount of dialogue that was going on, and he would flip back and forth through the day. Yeah. So they had to shoot Donald, and they'd shoot Charlie, then Donald, then Charlie, then the two cameras, then, you know, they, you know the special effects to put them together, and it just went on. Now, during that time where you think that he's just talking into the air, he's not, there was an actual actor, it was some New York theatrical actor, who played the opposite character. Oh, in so it full, wasn't you? No. Oh, okay. No, I did all the stand in work right. and some photo double work, but there was an actual actor. Okay. And that actor um, played both characters opposite Nick. Right. Uh, but okay. they filmed Nick's character. Right. And, Obviously. Uh, and so basically that's. that's placed it together. Yeah, and he was very good. And he did everything he could to work with Nick. I'm not sure if they were friends or not. And, mm. you know, his brother was also, um, also did a bit of that, Mark Coppola because mm-hmm. he was on set for a bit and I just did the standing stuff and all the outfits but it was a lot just to change outfits let alone to do what you know he was doing I didn't know how I was going to get away with that whole jerk off thing with the with Meryl Streep and stuff of course I was a test dummy for that one <laughs> so that was not fun because was a cold studio way up in uh, Santa Clarita Valley yeah. it is on stage and pulled down my pants and there's photographs of me with that where I'm you know pretending to mm-hmm. you know release myself mm-hmm. but it was it was embarrassing to get to that point you know being with these uh, filmmakers and then there were more embarrassing shots mm-hmm. after that but uh, it was it was stuff i never thought i would have to do as a stand-in mm-hmm. but uh he did it on screen and you know
1: with no problem yeah
0: and, and beryl streep and she was you know lovely all the way around boy what a pro she is yeah yeah chris cooper just they were great But it was all filmed in the LA area, and the him to play those characters, I was sure he was going to get an Oscar. You know, watching him work these characters, he 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 was was nominated nominated
1: for that one, yeah.
0: But he was on the ball. It was like you would watch him; you'd be offset, and you would just because I would be here, and he would do where Matt is, and I would just look at him, and I'm just like. That's amazing. It's just, like, and then he would do it over and over and over again. And then he'd switch characters. And then he would do that over and over again. So he
1: didn't have different days for different characters. No. He was doing it all in one day. Yeah. Wow, that's impressive.
0: Yeah, it was all about the scene and not about the character. Right. So if we're in this particular room, they had to shoot, and we had it for two days. For example, he would. They would shoot both characters in that room because the lighting was set up this way. Mm -hmm. So it was always about the lighting in the film business. So if if it's these two guys and you're playing opposite each other and it's Donald and Charlie, then you're filming them as Donald and Charlie. You go back, you change your outfit, you play with the hair, blah, blah, blah. You've got your other lines and then you go on. And so they'd have the other actor ready. So they would flip. And then I would just, I'd stand in and make sure that the lighting's fine. But so he would go back and forth the same day.
1: Were you privy to how he ended up with that role? Did he have to audition for it or was it more he was picked out?
0: I'm sure that he was picked out. And, you know, I mean, Sophia Coppola was on set quite a bit. Yeah, Spike. And um, because it was, you know, Spike's wife at the time. And and she would come in and and photograph a lot on Mm -hmm. set whenever she wasn't doing her thing. And uh, so she visited as often as as she could. And her and Nick are very close. Right. So I'm sure that that had a lot to do with it. I don't really know.
1: I inspired, I think choosing him for it, yeah. it was yeah. It's th- one of those ones that I could always point to when I was defending him. Like, what about this? This one's obvious that he's really good in it. I think there's lots of other movies that aren't like as good a movie as that that I think he's great in anyway. But um yeah, yeah that's just one of the obvious ones that it's easy. But a fun people. one is like
0: Family Man. I mean, he was he was fun in Family Man. Yeah. You know, he kind of channels that James Stewart thing in in Family Mm -hmm. Man. And and he worked it. It was kind of like a modern day version of It's a Wonderful Life. That was kind of where it was loosely based. Right. But uh, I felt it worked. I thought it was cute. And I thought it was a very, you know, it was a cute modern version. We filmed that both in L.A. and New York. Right. But uh, yeah, and he was on it with it. I thought it was, you know, I enjoyed it. But that's not a, you know.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: It wasn't Leaving Las Vegas. Right. And Gone in 60 Seconds was fun. And he's a car guy, so... Yeah,
1: so it was fun for him.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I hated it. You know, I hated the cars, though, because I'm oh, not a car yeah. guy. Ugh, it made me crazy.
1: But that was like pre-Angelina Jolie being as famous as she is. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, there was a lot of stuff going on on set. Mm. It's a very uh, big set. A lot, lot of talk.
1: Okay. Yeah. I don't know what that means. Well, I'm not going <laughs> to talk about it right now. Okay. <laughs> so,
0: <laughs> Lindsay... Um... <Yeah. laughs> We could go on, but I think that I I basically wanted to praise you for your book of of calling Nick Cage, you know, the national treasure of acting. And uh, it's a great book, and uh, I'm so glad that it was brought to my attention. I'm so glad I read it. I hope it sells more. Apparently, it sold fairly well for for a small pop classic. I
1: think so. I mean, I don't really know how to compare since this is my first book, but it, it seems people are buying it.
0: Yeah, but it was yeah. well done. I mean, you're you a you. wonderful author and everything else that you've done, an editor and stuff, it's it's quite impressive. And you're a very young woman to have done all that stuff. Okay. So, <laughs> really, honestly. So congratulations Thanks. to you and your national treasure and, and your love and obsession for Nicolas Cage. And, and here you are, you know, kind of interviewing each other mm-hmm. with his former stand-in. Yeah. Yay. That was exciting. Yes. <laughs> I'll, I'll see you soon and uh, we'll talk some more. Okay. okay? Thanks very <laughs> Thank much. Thank you. That concludes our podcast with Lindsay Gibb. Her book is available to order on Amazon and I can't recommend it enough. Until next time, this is Marco Kira signing off.